0: G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 48 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5,000 podcast where we're talking IAARM and today we are joined by Sharon who's the mother of David who was born with IAARM who's eight years old and she is from New York. Welcome to the podcast Sharon.
1: Thank you Greg, I'm so happy to be here.
0: It's great. I know we've been talking about uh, getting you on for a while, so it's glad we've been able to make it happen. Let's just start with your journey with David. And you are a NICU nurse as well, so you give a different perspective coming from the medical side of things. So, yeah, just like to give us a bit of an introduction.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I have David, but he's one of four children, so he's my second child and I worked in the NICU for about 15 years. When I had him uh, eight years ago, I had some NICU experience and I thought I knew a lot about NICU parents. And then he opened my world up to really understanding. Really what a NICU parent goes through and then just seeing, you know, just my whole life change based on this tiny little child who really needed so, so much support. So I really learned a lot through him. I learned to be a better nurse, a better mom, and really like just what patient advocacy means and education in the patient world. He's been one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given me.
0: That's great. What was the conditions he was born with other than OIA?
1: Yeah, so he has vactoral association. When I was pregnant with him, they really didn't even know what was wrong. I had very low fluid while I was pregnant. Um, they saw some structural abnormalities in his heart and some dilation in his bowels. But besides that, they weren't really sure. As soon as he was born, within like a few minutes, they saw that he had an imperforate anus, and then they went through the whole you know vactoral diagnosis to see what else he would have. So he has a solitary kidney. He had a heart condition called a VSD. So he had a hole in his septum of his ventricles. And then as time went on, we learned that he had some limb abnormalities. So one of his hands is slightly smaller than the other. And just recently, they've said forever, he didn't have a tethered cord. And actually recently he had surgery to release a tethered cord, which is also part of the actoral sometimes. So he's complex <laughs> as all our children are.
0: Yeah. 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 They most certainly are. So let's, let's go back to the uh, when you first found out that he was born with the imperfect anus and in the formative years, how did you handle it in your family?
1: Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, when he was just diagnosed, like really when he was right born, I actually felt relieved I felt relieved that we had a diagnosis that I understood and knew something a little bit about. He got a colostomy at day two of life, which was difficult for my husband, who's not medical whatsoever. For me, being a NICU nurse and having the neonatal intensive care experience, I actually was known for my ostomy care before I even had my son. So it oh, was really? almost like, yeah, I was like the nurse that everyone would go to if they had a baby with a colostomy so it was almost like just meant to be so i had no problem with that care you know it was just something that i just continued to do as a nurse so what became more and more difficult was just managing when we got closer to needing the piece the PSARP and deciding on the surgeon we initially almost went with somebody local and then we just kept exploring, exploring. So we traveled to see Dr. Levitt, which was probably the best decision of our lives because I realized it was a one-shot deal, right? I learned through the research, you know, the nerves are so delicate that you really want to have the correct able-bodied surgeon to do it. So that was good. But then the dilations were pretty much the most difficult thing I've ever had to do to my son. Just, he just never liked them. They were so uncomfortable. He would always cry. I found that really, really difficult. And then as time progressed and I learned more about the constipation and, and what could happen to him, you know, he was getting bigger. He was about maybe like two or three, not quite getting anywhere near potty trained, but you know, Senna we were on Senna, we were on, a little bit of a high fiber diet. And I started to worry cause I'm a, I'm a projector. So I started to worry. I'm like, will he ever be able to hold his bowels? And what's it going to be like? I don't want him to be the smelly boy at school. I really felt that to be a possibility for him. So as he got bigger, I tried to research bowel management and what it was. And I didn't quite fully understand it until he was really potty trained and it was really hard with the Senna. It was just not predictable enough. He was starting to go to school and he was having accidents and about then somewhere around age five, I think he was in kindergarten or just before is when your book came out and I read it. What was it? My secret life. And you, you pretty much, talked about everything I feared of for him, meaning like the just emotional distress and, and all the pieces of that puzzle. And I started really looking into having daily flushes or daily Envas for him because I just thought like that quality of life is what's missing. We were literally running to the toilet to get him on because we didn't know when the sendo was going to hit. And then we'd sit for like what felt like hours Because I just didn't want him to have accidents at school. And then it was almost freeing. I I remember I called up his colorectal team and I said, we're ready for, we're ready to start talking about enemas now. And it was just, the transition was difficult for him. He was still little, but it was a really great decision. He just, he doesn't have to worry now.
0: How did he tolerate the enemas initially? Because I know you said you had difficulty doing the dilations and although this is different doing, giving him the rectal enemas, but how did he tolerate them initially?
1: So it was interesting. So I I kind of framed it. I have a lot of experience because even before I was a NICU nurse, I was a pediatric hematology oncology nurse for like older age population of pediatrics. I had some experience, sort of like how child life talks to patients and talks to children. So we did a lot of talking beforehand. And I said to him, you know how sometimes you poop your pants and we're, we're always worried about going to the toilet. I said, the doctors have something really special we can do that might feel uncomfortable at first, but make sure that you're always clean and we don't have to worry about the toilet. So he was actually excited at first because he was, you know, excited to try something new. But when we first started the first, I would say like two weeks, he was scared, you know, every time I would come near him and I almost feel like his body remembered the dilations. Like anytime I came near him, he, he like jump, like, I'm like, I didn't even touch you yet but then slowly slowly he realized that he felt he felt better he told me his belly felt more like what did he say i remember he's like it doesn't grumble as much anymore cuz the you know the laxatives are so aggressive yep. all day long he would feel the grumbles and he's like it doesn't grumble anymore and i'm like doesn't that feel great and he's like yeah it feels so good so just like the verbal language that we use around it has helped him cope. I think immensely. And the first, maybe like two or three months, it took a long time because we were getting used to the process. And now it's like so simple. He just lays down. We do the whole thing. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. And this is kind of a cool thing. We do all my children. We we talk about it. We call it like poopy medicine or tushy medicine. All my kids are involved. So I have a daughter who's nine. She helps me set up sometimes. I have another daughter who's four. She'll like lay the chuck on the bed for me and pour some of the solution in the bottle. So it really just makes it normal. Our whole house, it's no big deal.
0: So David so- doesn't feel like he's any different to the other kids. Exactly. Yep. And do you do them in the morning or the evenings?
1: we do them at right after dinner time so before his bath we tried in the mornings at first cuz i thought that would be good but it was too rushed before school to like get him to school on time i so suppose when you thinking, got
0: four kids it's <laughs> you have to put them yeah.
1: yeah and then also there was just maybe cuz it was the beginning but there was always well, sometimes it'd be like a little bit of leakage even though he was empty whereas at night i can just keep him a little longer or clean him up after put him in pajamas like it didn't it doesn't affect him but in the mornings it was it wasn't quite driving but it's great in the evenings now I mean we've been doing it for way over a year and it's just
0: that's wonderful and
1: ah so perfect
0: (laughs) and did you find a discernible difference in him him, like with his attitude and his emotional well-being that he wasn't worried about accidents all the time.
1: I definitely feel like he's been more comfortable emotionally with that piece of his puzzle. It's also opened him up to feel or be more present in school. I felt like when we were on the laxatives, I was hearing a lot more from his teachers that he was like not paying attention or he was like running around the classroom or and I want to say that some of that might have been the grumbles from Vicenna making him feel uneasy. And now he's like much more attentive in class and able to do his schoolwork and not not have that jumpiness. So I, I think it's, it's, it's changed his life immensely.
0: That's wonderful. Now, I know a couple of years <laughs> ago he had a, during the summer of 2021, he had a couple of emergency visits to the hospital. What was the result of that? Why did they occur?
1: Yeah. So it was towards the end of, of COVID and he actually was constipated. We missed it or I missed it. He was still in his Senate at that time. He wasn't on, he was on laxatives. He wasn't um doing enemas yet. So he was so severely constipated that it was, his bowels were pushing on his bladder. So he ended up having really bad urinary retention. So that's why we ended up going to the emergency room. And then that led to him having major urinary issues, actually up until about two or three months ago, it like lasted. He ended up having issues urinating. He was actually getting clean from poop, but having wet pants which was something we just resolved with the surgery on his back. He ended up the long and the short of it is. During that time, they found actually had his bladder was like kind of small. Oh, he had a neurogenic bladder. So his bladder was like over spasming and not the correct size. And we found that as a result of this constipation emergency that occurred. And then we started to have to see a urologist. And then eventually I was actually looking into doing a pentecostomy and yeah. They said, nice. well, do- alone. Yep. yeah. So there's like, if we're going to do that, let's just make sure his bladder doesn't need some help too. And then they ended up finding a spot on his, on his back and we did a further MRI and they found out that it was really a piece of tethered cord. And we ended up snipping that and then it it kind of went away almost, his bladder issue. We ended That's up-
0: really interesting that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to that that will sort of like it might trigger something in their mind if if the the child are a little bit older because not necessarily all the tevid cords are being uh, diagnosed at birth.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because it always was in the back of my mind. He would sometimes have some leg pain in the middle of the night, he would have this bladder issue on and off. And being the NICU nurse that I am, I know where in the spine the bladder is innervated. So I would always think like, does he have a tethered cord? Did they miss it? And everyone, all everyone was like, no, no, he has MRI. When he was young, he's probably fine. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, and then he ended up having this MRI because he was having this bladder issue. And they saw this spot on his spine And on further investigation, that's what I decided he did have. And he was already eight. Yeah. So, but he did so well. He did so well with the surgery. I was also very worried about that, you know, spinal surgery, how he's going to recover. And he was back to school within within the month. Totally fine. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Now, I know that you'd like to talk about Mm -hmm. the emotional impacts on the family that, dealing with the child with the medical condition.
1: Yes. So I feel really strongly that having a child with any complex medical condition impacts not only the child and the direct caregiver, which in in our situation is, is mostly me, but also impacts my husband, all the other children, because a lot of the time I'm with him more than I'm with them. And there's jealousy and there's just like a high stress feeling that happens. He's going to surgery, we're driving to the hospital, we're going on an airplane. And I really, the more I look into it, the more I research, you know, kind of like a post-traumatic stress or chronic stress situation. It's so in line with our family and what we've been through. And I think it's important that everyone knows that it it's a, a common thread. I've asked all you know, I've been researching and trying to look into other people and how they feel. I think it's a common thread among complex medical families, um, this chronic stress or this chronic, you know, just extremes of feelings and emotions. And as soon as I recognize that in our family, and actively work on talking about our emotions and understanding that sometimes I have to be with David but also I really want to be with the rest of them and I'll make special time for them it has really helped us we're still a work in progress but
0: specifically is one of one of David's siblings been affected more do you think than the others
1: I think his older sister. They're only eleven months apart, so she was she was not even a year when he was born, and I feel like she definitely feels it. She's even said to me before, like "You're always with David. You want to be with him more." Maybe because she's a little bit more able to express it, but I, I definitely feel like it's impacted her. I see that she gets quiet sometimes, and she's like, "Oh, I'm fine. I can do it myself," and I think it's I think it's a coping mechanism. of sorts and what about your husband it's it's definitely hard on him his he doesn't have a medical background so he can't always do the medical things you know I'm the one who does all the enemas I always go to the hospital I do I'm in every procedure with him and he's just not comfortable with those things so it's definitely created a strong very strong bond between me and David and and sometimes it's I can see that it's difficult for him
0: I can totally understand that. It sounds like you have a really strong connection to the community now through the groups.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I first joined, I don't remember how old David was. I first joined one of the groups on Facebook. I was one of those just watchers, right? I would like see what people posted and I would get really anxious. Like, oh, is that our future? I would like overread everything, but I would never post. And then as he got a little older and I, got maybe a little bit more comfortable and I started just posting a little piece here or there, but I find the more active I am in the group, the more comfortable, not only do I feel with his diagnosis, but talking to other parents and instead of being anxious about what I'm reading, it's comforting now. It's like, oh, you've been through that. I've been through that. Oh, that's how you handled that. Let's try. We'll try that way. So I now find a lot of comfort in the community versus when I first joined and I was just kind of overwhelmed by what I read. It's really nice to see. Yeah.
0: I know we've discussed recently how you would like to write a book about your experiences and you're sort of like, you weren't sure from David's perspective. And I know you put a post up on the one in 5,000 information group, asking Mm -hmm. people their opinions and, Definitely varies from adults to parents, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I found it. I mean, I didn't do statistical analysis, but I found very strongly that the parents were advocating for me to write a book because they would love to hear what I had to say and, you know, see if it's similar to their experiences. And most of the adults, it sounded more like, you know, let your child decide if he wants to put his story out there. You don't want to, you know, maybe when he gets older, he'll resent the fact that his story is out there. But I really asked David directly. I know he's only eight, but I said to him, I said, David, I want to write a book about our journey, you know, about me being your mom and everything we've been through. I think it would really help a lot of moms and dads know that they're not alone and help some children know that they're not alone. And he said, let's do it. Like he was Uh just like, let's do it. And then he sometimes asks me, ever since we brought it up, did you write the book yet? And I'm like, well, you know, David, it takes time to write a book.
0: he will be excited when he knows you've done the podcast?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think he'll be excited. I mean, he knows your name. Uh, we read some of Rare, Rare and Resilient together. He was really excited by it when it came. He, he just, he finds it. I find that when I tell him that there are other people out there just... Like him, it excites him. He's like, Oh, other people have trouble pooping. I'm like, Yeah, they do. It's no biggie, right? Like, we're all different and that's just your thing. And then there's other times where he's just like, I wish I wasn't like this. And I'm like, Well, we're all just different. We're all just different and we can't, we can't know why. It just is, you know.
0: You can always tell him he's got a special bottom just like I do. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: How is he with his friends at school and that? Are they aware of his IA?
1: No, they're not directly, but he's really proud of all his scars. So he Uh shares them pretty openly. And I remember specifically when he was, I want to say when he was about four, he was in summer camp and he was showing his scar, his like ostomy scar to like one of his friends. He was four and his counselor called me and said David is telling all his friends that he used to poop out of his stomach and this is the scar that's left. Oh. And I'm like and I'm like yeah yeah that's exactly what it's for and what happened. And he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't like he just like said it. And I thought that was super cool.
0: Oh that's super wonderful.
1: cool. And he's he's always just thought he's cool. So well
0: he certainly is <laughs> you can tell <laughs> me. I think so. <laughs> He's
1: a superhero. He's so awesome.
0: I know you have a passion for educating and the empowerment around our condition. Would you like to have just talk about that?
1: Yeah, I really from my NICU experience and from my parent NICU parent experience, I have found that education is just the power of the world. So without understanding something, you can't really know how to address it. So with any diagnosis in the NICU parent population, I would always not just sit them down and say, go look at the answer. I would walk them through their child's diagnosis and the parents that took that and ran with it. I have always found that their experience with their child was a little bit easier. And I'm not saying that having a complex kid, you know, isn't hard, but I'm saying that if you feel empowered that you have something to do about it, whether it's doing some research or learning about this tool or kit or person or support group, it's empowering, right? Because sometimes when you're given a diagnosis, you're like, why was this given to me but if you understand it and you can find the resources it's like oh i've got this i can do this and i think it's it's amazing for parents to have that you know kind of tool in their tool belt so to speak that education piece um so it's really really been a passion of mine ever since i started really working with parents. And then ever since David came along and I saw the full impact of how my educational background supported me before I even knew like the support I needed, right? So much so that I want to help any NICU parent and complex kid out there as parents. I've been really thinking about it for quite some time as a branch away from working in the hospital and more just supporting.
0: Well, you have a very unique perspective you can bring now, can't you?
1: Yeah, I think so. I'd like to start my own podcast. I've I've scripted a few episodes myself. I just need to take that leap, (laughs) so to say. So this is a good practice, I guess. Um,
0: You're doing very well at it.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I love to... I'd love to do that. I'd like to have a podcast that could be a support community for NICU parents, for complex medical um, families, uh, and even for healthcare workers. I think that most healthcare workers got into healthcare because they want to care for humans, but sometimes when they're really busy doing all their tasks that need to happen to care for them. They forget that piece of human caring, you know, just hand-holding and saying, how are you today? How could I help you today? What can I do for you today? That piece is missing. So I'd like to help both groups of people and just show how the healthcare worker can better support that parent of the of the sick child or the complex medical
0: child. Oh, well, that's a great idea, right? And Yeah. As far as yourself and your husband are concerned, how have you navigated sharing David's conditions and issues with family and friends, et cetera, since he was born?
1: Yeah, so definitely our family units have known. So my parents and I have two older siblings, I I pretty much told them right away, Um, his parents and his siblings all know too, and even some of our close friends know, uh, I feel like Maybe the first one to two years of his life, only our family, only our close families knew. But I started to understand that there's nothing to be ashamed of. And if we're going to be so, you know, forward with him, we should just make it part of our normal lives. And I found the more people I shared it with, the more comfortable I felt, you know, not the people I meet on the street, but you know, like close friends know um, it really helps to have support all his teachers know and I think it's important that they understand the whole reason why he is having the the problems he's having especially when he was on the laxatives I I really always felt like it was affecting every moment of his life so I always shared it really helps me to know that I can talk to people freely about it
0: you think they're going to be a, a lot of family and friends who are surprised when they listen to this
1: Maybe, maybe not. Probably not, actually. <laughs> they all know me pretty well. So I'm always happy to share because you also never know who out there in your own personal community has a similar issue. I've had people come up to me saying, I think your son has something similar to a friend of mine, or I heard your son had something with his, his bowels. I have this friend in this place. And And I talk to all of them. I'm happy to talk to anyone who has any questions that I can help them with or at least, you know, steer them in the direction that has the answer that they need.
0: Yeah. As a mother of an eight-year-old who has been through all the surgeries, done the potty training, had the issue with the laxatives that cause issues and now going down the enema route and, you know, which has been life-changing. What would your greatest piece of advice be for new parents who just started the journey or just after their child's in the preschool age? What would you like to share with them, your advice to them?
1: I think the greatest piece of advice I could say is just be patient. Be patient to learn with your child. Be patient to say, I don't have all the answers and we're going to learn about this together. Be honest with your with your child that you're doing your best and you don't have all the answers, but we will find the place that can help us the best. And then we might have to make another change because you're changing and it's okay. I think that's really the biggest piece for me.
0: Great piece of advice. Just finally, before we uh, close it off, so what's your podcast name going to be?
1: I'm going to be calling it growing tiny humans. I feel like it's all inclusive of where, what are we doing in life, but just trying to grow our tiny humans into bigger ones that are adults and thriving and functioning. So that's, that's how I landed on that.
0: So Sharon, thanks so much for joining us today and being so open and just talking about your journey with David, it's I'm sure it's going to resonate with a lot of our families and community to have a listen to it. So it's been great.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: No way, Sharon. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.